morning, everyone. It's good to be back with you again. And thank you for the opportunity of speaking to you. I was just thinking when I saw all the youngsters going out that William still had the best idea that I've ever heard. William still um, became the minister of Gilcomston South Church of Scotland Church on Union Street in Aberdeen just after the war. And uh, when he arrived, he was greatly greeted. He was a very able preacher. And then one particular Sunday, he announced the text for the following Sunday as being such and such in so many verses. And immediately his congregation halved because the people assumed that because he had already decided what he was going to preach on the following Sunday, he wasn't going to wait on the Holy Spirit in the meantime. Which, of course, was a wrong assumption, but it was what the congregation made of his announcement of the text for the following week on the previous week. He then suggested that everyone over eight years old should stay in the service. That's what I think is a great idea. Um, as you know, Sunday schools didn't actually come into being in this country until 1869. Prior to that, everybody of every age went to every church service that everybody went to. And it's been interesting, really, just to recognize the, the way in which these particular events and functions have, have happened in the church down, down the years. Anyway, to cut a long, story short, a long story short, by the time Willie Still had reorganized the church at Comston South, his congregation had dropped from about 800 to 40. And then when he felt he had all the pieces in place, he continued to preach until Gilcomston South became the fastest growing church in Scotland and was peopled with fresh uh, converts. It also became one of the great sending churches in Scotland to send missionary workers overseas. And after Willie still had been there 11 years, 55 couples had become missionaries in foreign countries. So the, the principle of recognizing what the Lord's saying to a church is hugely important because he doesn't treat all churches the same way and all congregations the same way. And I think we need to be increasingly sensitive to what the Lord would say. I'm going to speak this morning to you about scarecrows and melon patches. That's our subject. Let's read together in Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10. Hear what the Lord says to you, O house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations, or be terrified by signs in the sky, though the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest, and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. 
They adorn it with silver and gold, and they fasten it with hammer and nails, so that it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. No one is like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Who should not revere you, O King of the nations? This is your due. Among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. They are all senseless and foolish. They are taught by worthless wooden idols. Hammered silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. What the craftsman and goldsmith have made is then dressed in blue and purple, all made by skillful workers. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal King. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. Tell them this. These gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. His images are a fraud. They have no breath in them. They are worthless, the objects of mockery. When their judgment comes, they will perish. He who is the portion of Jacob is not like these. For he is the maker of all things, including Israel, the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord Almighty is his name. And we thank the Lord for his word to us this morning. When I said to you that I wanted to speak about scarecrows and melon patches, you probably picked up from the reading that's not actually the substance of what I want to say this morning. But it is a useful title, I think, for our present generation here in the UK. I'm not a political person, and it's not my purpose this morning to make political comments. But it is significant to recognise that as the various manifestos are being presented by the particular groups that are represented in Parliament, that not one of them so far has made a mention of God. We are living largely in a godless society. Now, it doesn't mean that men and women have got nothing to say, but it does mean that what men and women say you and I need to take with a pinch of salt or perhaps many pinches of salt because the reality of the world in which we live 
is that until we recognize that God is in control of history and God is working his purpose out according to his wider purposes, then we will not really have a grasp of what's actually happening in our world at this particular time. And when Jeremiah is talking about the godless idols of his particular generation, he says five things about them. He says, first of all, they're speechless. They've got nothing to say. They're powerless. They're unable to do anything. They're harmless because they can do neither good nor evil. They're worthless because they're of no value. And they're lifeless, an emphasis which is brought to us a number of times through the opening verses of this particular chapter. Speechless, powerless, harmless, worthless, and lifeless. I think very often, whenever you and I are facing the particular problems of day-to-day living, that the thing that we concentrate on primarily is the working out of that day-to-day life according to our perspectives, of having a, a view which says, well, I have to earn a certain amount of money to supply a certain amount of needs so that I can live in a certain way and so forth and so on. And that becomes then the be-all and end-all of our existence. We become functional only in relation to that which we earn and that which we achieve with our own hands or to take up this particular image that Jeremiah is bringing to us, that we make up these images which seem to be significant but are of no importance at all. And yet they become the abiding thing within our lives. They become the focus of our lives. And the rest of our living somehow or other gets shelved or pushed to the edges of our existence. And the the whole purpose of the prophecy of Jeremiah is that the people of Israel are called upon to recognize the significance of the God of eternity to recognize that actually the whole of their lives is dependent ultimately upon him and that unless he is continually involved in their living, then the life that they're living is just according to their own perspectives and for their own values. And it seems to me that we have got to constantly reiterate this in our generation, that we recognize that the only things that truly matter are those things that are eternal, those things that are lasting, those things that will govern our lives, not just here, but forever. That we have an awareness that the God who is the God of all grace is also the God who demands from us lives which are lived according to his purpose and for uh, his functioning. So I want to explore this particular passage in some detail this morning, uh, just so that we'll get a a perspective on this which uh, will be eternal for us, which will make a, a difference to our living, not just today, but tomorrow and next week and ongoingly for as long as the Lord leaves us here. It, it's interesting that Jeremiah begins this particular di- uh, discourse with this perspective. Do not lear- learn the ways of the nations. Do not learn the ways of the nations. In other words, don't assimilate the values that are those which are all around us, 
all the nations work according to this perspective. This is their view of life. This is their view of things. This is their view of things which are important. And Jeremiah breaks into this and says, don't learn the ways of the nations. Don't become like everybody else. Don't live your life like everyone else. Don't have a perspective on life which is untrue just because every other nation is doing it. And we can so readily assimilate that perspective. It can become part of our living. So the only things that matter is the things that everybody talks about. You know, generally speaking, when we meet, we talk about two things. We ask after one another's health, and we talk about the weather. The weather's been really boring these last three and a half weeks. It's rained every day in Wellington in in all of this month so far. I'm not expecting today to be any different because when I left, it already started to rain. So there's been 22, 23 days of rain this particular month. And, you know, the whole thing is somewhere or other, we talk about the weather. Now, if you think about it for a minute, it doesn't act, unless you're a farmer, and I'm sorry, Roy, I'm not going to address your particular needs this morning, but... You know, unless you're a farmer, it's not really of any significance as long as you've got a roof over your head or a place of shelter. It's just the weather. Why do we talk about it all the time? I don't hear any of you volunteering a reason. It avoids talking about anything else. Now, we we ask after one another's health, and that's great. Very glad that we do. But actually, when it's all said and done, neither you and I can do very much about our own health. It's the way it is, by and large. So we're living in a society that somehow or other is just glossing the things that really matter, the things that really make a difference, the things that determine our values in life. We're just glossing them. And it's only with very few people that we share the things that deeply trouble us or cause us to malfunction or whatever. Do not learn the ways of the nations. Don't don't go through the motions, if I can express it like that, as far as Jeremiah is concerned. Or be terrified by signs in the sky. Now, I don't want to get into climate change in that particular argument. But really what Isaiah is saying here, the things that you cannot have any influence particularly over are not to be part of your continuing, ongoing um, consideration. Don't think about the signs in the sky. Don't say, oh, well, there's a comet, 1066. There was a comet that appeared in the sky, and everybody assumed it was portending doom. So when William the Conqueror landed in Hastings in September of that particular year, people said, that's the fulfillment of the prophecy that was seen in the sky. That's just nonsense. The fact that William the Conqueror happened to land on the beach at Hastings at the same time as a comet appeared in the sky is purely coincidental. One did not signify the other but it was interpreted to signify the other. 
So what really am I getting at this morning? Just simply this, my dear friends, my dear Christian friends, if you're a believer this morning, don't get sidetracked. I was astonished the other day to meet a very mature Christian who said to me that he reads his horoscope every day. So I immediately said, why? Oh, he said, it's just interesting. I said, it's nonsense. No, he said, it's interesting. No, it's not. It's nonsense. So horoscopes and signs in the sky and interpretation of particular birth signs and so forth and so on are non-relevant as far as the people of God are concerned. This is a direct instruction. You know, this passage begins with, Hear what the Lord says to you, O house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not absorb the ways of the nations, and don't be terrified by signs in the sky, even though the nations be terrified by them. Even though the people interpret them as being particularly significant, don't you be terrified by them. It's a direct instruction from the Lord. Have your eye on other things. Don't have a perspective in this. And then he takes it a stage further, and he says the customs of the peoples are worthless. And he goes into this whole development of an idol and how an idol is made. Now, I was taught when I was a youngster, and you may have been too, that if a man makes something, then that which he makes is less than he is or she is. If an engineer makes something, then the thing which he makes, because it's been made by him, is of less significance than he himself or she herself is. Isn't that right? If you think about it for a minute. Whatever a man makes must be less than he is. Otherwise he wouldn't be able to make it. Whatever a woman makes. I mean, some of you ladies uh, make all sorts of things that I have absolutely no cognizance of. I was looking at a particular piece yesterday at a craft shop and I thought to myself, I, I could never make that made by a very skillful woman. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, here's a gift that this particular lady has, which is so obvious as being she's a gifted person. And so she makes that which is her particular gift to make, but it's as less significant than the, significance than the person themselves. So whenever you and I become involved in the world in which we're in and we necessarily are, there needs to be a perspective which recognizes there's more to life than this. There's more to life than the doing of things or achieving of things or of coming to a particular point in life. There is this recognition that there must be a blending of God with my soul if I'm going to be the sort of person that I'm supposed to be. So immediately, Jeremiah moves from this particular perspective, and I don't want to develop it any further. I don't want to talk really about scarecrows and melon patches. That was just to waken you up. But, you know, this whole perspective that he's bringing here to these people is immediately followed by a statement which appears to have, have uh, no significance whatever other than the statement itself. And this is what he says. No one is like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is mighty in power. 
So you and I are taken up about all these wee things that go on in our lives and we see them as being ultimately significant. And what Jeremiah comes to say is, it's not actually about this at all. It's about the Lord. It's about recognizing the significance of God that makes a difference in a man or woman's life. It's not the things that they count or may have counted important. It's not even the idols that they have made because they're less significant than the person themselves. But it's the God of eternity that you and I are going to have to deal with and that you and I have to relate to. And so he moves into this wonderful series of statements, which I'm just going to touch on this morning, but I trust it will trigger some things in our minds. First of all, the Lord is absolutely unique. There is no one like him. Please don't get into the habit of thinking, however inadvertently, that there's comparison between gods and God, that God just manages to exceed them by a tiny bit. This God is absolutely unique. There is no one like him. He is beyond our comprehension, and we can only know him by the revelation of himself to us. You're great, and your name is mighty in power. And, you know, I was so taken with this phrase this week. Your name is mighty in power. In other words, you don't have to make an aggrandizement of God. But just to recognize who he truly is, is to bring him into the center of our living, to recognize that this one can be transforming. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. If you're in touch with the Lord Almighty, he will make a difference in your life. And it will be a transforming difference because he is who he is. Your name is mighty in power. Who should not revere you? O king of the nations. Oh. We often pray, thy kingdom come. It's part of the prayer that the Lord taught to his disciples. Thy kingdom come. As sure as you sit there, the kingdom is going to be fulfilled. This one is the king of the nations. They don't recognize him. But you know that song that we sing sometimes, there is a higher throne than all this world has known. Yeah? Are you with me? So there is a higher throne. There really is, my fellow brother and sister. Even though the, the world seems to be in a mess, there is someone who is working out his eternal purpose in such a way that one day it will all come to fruition. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And as sure as you sit there, this is a fact. It's not a wish. It's not a perspective of maybe it'll happen. This is the reality of our future. This is the God whom you and I worship, that he will achieve and demonstrate his achievement forever. So one day, every knee will bow. Why? Because he's king. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is king, curios, to the glory of God the Father. And, you know, this is the reality of the future. So Jeremiah says, this is your Jew. This is who you are. This is the perspective we should have. Amongst all the wise men of the nations and, all of the, and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you, not even approaching you. The, the 
Hebrew word, there's, there's a word, and I'm not going to go into that, but there's a word in Aramaic in this chapter, which is the only word in Aramaic in the book of Jeremiah. But I'm not going to touch on that this morning. Here, here is what the Hebrew says. There is no one like you. You're absolutely unique. You're all, they're all senseless and foolish. They are taught by worthless wooden idols, hammered silver, and so forth and so on. Then verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. He is the eternal King. I just love those three statements. He's the true God. That is, he's uh, set up to demonstrate that all else is false, that there's no other truth other than that which God himself reveals. He's the true God. He's the God of truth. He's the living God. Every other God's dead. There ain't no other God like God because he is who he is. And he is the eternal king. I think sometimes we forget that, you know, God never had a beginning and God will never have an end. He is who he is. Whenever Moses asked who he was, God says, you tell him I am that I am. In other words, whenever you meet with God, you meet him in the eternal present. He is who he is. And if you look back, he is what he has always been. And if you look forward, he is what he will always be. Now, we don't understand it. But it produces a security in our living. Because it is God who gives the meaning to eternity. You remember that phrase in Isaiah 9? You'll be looking at it sometime during these days of Advent that we're approaching that is, he is the father of eternity. He is the everlasting father. He's the one who gives eternity its meaning. Without him, there cannot be an eternity. And more and more modern science is coming to the perspective that there must be that which is eternal. But that's by the by. When he's angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. I want to be absolutely blunt as I close this morning. Do you believe that? You believe that while the earth remains cold and heat shall not cease? Oh, well, there's climate change. Climate change is within the normal boundaries of climate change. If you go back to the 13th century, you will discover that Europe was two degrees warmer on average for almost 200 years. Nobody talks about it because it's not fashionable science in our generation. It's known as the medieval warming period for those of you who are interested. God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. The word stretched out is interesting. I'll just touch on this. It means to stretch out like a curtain. And it brings with it the idea of infinity. 
But when God stretched it out, he continued to stretch it out and he continued to stretch it out and he continues to stretch it out. So when modern man looks at the universe, he says to himself, this has been here an awful long time. Because that's the limit of his understanding. But God keeps on creating that which he creates. He keeps on stretching it out. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. So when you and I look up, we don't say to ourselves, well, the sun's 93 million miles away and that's wonderful. The fact that it's exactly the right point to give heat to the earth and cool to the earth at exactly the right amount of input that it requires and so forth and so on so that you and I can have life and so that some water on earth freezes and some water on earth is liquid. You know, it's, and some water on earth is air that we breathe. It just happens to be an accident of nature. Absolute nonsense. Because who stretched it out and who made it? He founded the world by his wisdom. Oh, well, Peter, you're pushing it. I'm not pushing it. Indeed, I can't expound this text enough to push it. He did what he did. And the balances that he put in place are the balances that he's put in place. Because he is who he is. And he made the earth by his power, and he founded the world by his wisdom, and he stretched out the heavens by his understanding. Whoops. You mean God understood what he was doing when he made the heavens? Absolutely. We don't know what he was doing when he made the heavens, but he did. Because he is who he is. When he thunders, the waters and the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. Sends lightning with the rain, brings out the wind from his storehouses. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge. I think one of the things that I've recognized in recent months is just simply this. That men want to argue about whether God exists, but they don't want to face the reality if he does. You know, you can talk to men all day and make various suggestions about why you believe in a God that exists and that he is who he is and that he is essentially good and so forth and so on. And men will argue with you to prevent an alter- to present an alternative point of view. And George Bernard Shaw was right. You know, every now and again an Irishman says, says something that's right. And George Bernard Shaw was right. He said this, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And the, the object of a Christian perspective on, on life and on the world is not to win an argument, but to help men and women see that God is the essential. God is the one who you and I are going to be answerable to. God is the eternal God is this God who made the earth by his power and founded the world by his wisdom. He who is the portion of Jacob is not like these, for he is the maker of all things. So all that is, he is the maker of. And that's a huge statement. You know, we tend to think of it in terms of the physical universe. But he's the maker of all things. Love, 
tenderness, intellect. He's the maker of all things. He is the absolute, if I can express it like this. He is, and you and I are answerable to him, and only to him. So we have this option laid before us this morning. We either have a look at all those things that Jeremiah says are worthless, and we say, well, actually, they're worth something. Or we can talk about the things that he talks about as lifeless. And we can say, well, actually, that's what life's about. Or we can take this perspective which is presented to us of the eternal I am, the one who is, the one who is the God who has revealed himself in creation and sustains all things by the word of his power, who is the, the one who is, is such that he can meet our particular needs both in the physical sense and in the spiritual sense. He can bring his life everlasting through the Lord Jesus. And he can provide food that somehow or other turns on our stomach into the various things that you and I need for our strength. Because your stomach is so designed so that it can turn the food which happens to be around it into stuff that you and I can use to provide energy and so forth and so on. Another mystery. And another mystery which is inexplicable unless there be a hand of God in creation. But that's another story. The challenge of this morning is this. Are we, going, are we going to take notice of things which are just scarecrows and melon patches? The various evaluations of the nations around us. Are we going to think seriously about God? About the possibility of knowing him? About the possibility of him becoming part of our experience? Are we going to think seriously about the fact that he loves us? Cares for us? Makes himself available to us in the person of the Lord Jesus? so that he can transform our lives by forgiving our sin and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Is he going to be God to us? Or just like the rest of these gods that are no gods? Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we find ourselves treading on the edge of great mysteries this morning. The mystery of why so often the nations imagine vain things and grasp after that which can never satisfy. And the mystery of yourself and the joy of knowing you and coming into a relationship with you through our Lord Jesus. And we pray that you'll help us to choose a right. You'll help us to think these things through. That you'll help us to come to the right perspective and have a clear vision, a clear perspective on who you are. Because we recognize we can only know you through the revelation which you give us. We pray that you will work in our lives to that end. And in Jesus' name, amen.